Good evening and welcome back to the Power for Positive Living and Friendship here on KGBC Wellness Radio for Southeast Texas. This is James Huey, your host, and I do encourage, if you have the opportunity, to join me for the next 30 minutes as we continue with Wellness Radio and the Power for Positive Living. Mr. Dan Greenberg has written a book, and I'm going to take some portions from it and share it with you because I believe that we have talked about the positive ways in which you can structure your life. Also, we're going to be able to structure some ways that we can kind of see through humor some of the ways that possibly would be more negative. For example, you all heard of reverse psychology. A lot of parents try it very early on their children. They try to encourage them to do a behavior while saying that they can't do a behavior, which, of course, makes the person say, I want to do it even more. Just tell me I can't do something, then, boy, that's certainly one way to make me want to do it. This whole book is written with the same philosophy. If you really are determined not to take responsibility for your life, if you are determined to let the rest of the world define who you are, then this is a training manual on how to make yourself miserable. This is an example of reverse psychology. And so we don't come into something like the War of the Worlds. We certainly don't want to be heard as advocating this, but it's a humorous way. And, you know, sometimes in personal growth, we forget to laugh. You know, one of the most healthy, invigorating ways in which we can grow and nurture as a human being is to learn how to laugh. I don't know why, but I find some people being very serious about everything. Personal growth can be serious, but it also has its fun, energizing side, humor as being an upbeat commodity. In that vein, I'd like to share with you the introduction, and it'll give you some kind of idea about this particular book, and you may even want to go down to a bookstore and procure it for yourself. Once again, the assumption is that if you've decided you're going to be absolutely miserable and let other people define who you are and what you're going to feel and believe and what your role here in life is going to be, then here is a manual that will help you out. It goes as follows. Too long have you, the average masochist, gone about the important task of punishing yourself for your various guilts by devious or ineffective means. Too long have you had to settle for poorly formulated anxieties and hit or miss methods of self-flagiation simply because this vital field has been shrouded in ignorance, a folk art rather than a science. Here at last is a frank report you have been waiting for. In it, we shall take you on a step-by-step investigation into every phase of self-torture and humiliation, sharing with you in the process many of the methods we ourselves have used so successfully in the past. It is our humble but earnest desire that through these pages you will be able to find for yourself the inspiration and the tools for a truly painful, meaningless, and miserable life. So goes the tongue-in-cheek introduction for how to make yourself miserable. Title of contents goes along with things like methods to develop misery being by yourself, 
some classic misery-making situations, misery about the past, present, and future, and then some ways to develop your misery with other people. In this book, we're going to outline two paths of misery that are as deadly effective and are very easy to follow. The first way of making yourself miserable is a solitary pursuit, and the second requires the use of other people as unwitting accomplices in making people reject you. These two methods combine in an intensive but sensible program of suffering and self-torture will be all you need to attain the elusive and much sought-after goal of total personal misery. One of their missions is to be miserable. Even if happiness comes and pounds on the door, these are people who want to run out the back door so happiness doesn't get in. We may be making light of it in some sense, but once again, these are situations. There are a lot of people who will be miserable out of their choice. Abe Lincoln once said, people will be about as happy as they decide they're going to be, which is why sometimes whenever a tornado will come through and wipe a a whole family's material possessions out, the family will respond with a positive, let's rebuild, let's go on, and other people just absolutely fall apart. When an illness comes, what happens? There is a change. Some people feel that they're able to respond positively and make whatever time they do have on this earth into a positive event, or they give up and they go ahead and neglect themselves and just kind of emotionally die. So, according to Greenberg, how do you create one of these situations? Well, according to him, the power of negative thinking is the ability to picture a little love nest out where the roses cling and see mortgage payments and rose fever. These are people that are born with the power of negative thinking. So, once again... We need to be aware that we have choices as we go about the process of developing positive thinking. One of the examples he gives here that I think is kind of humorous, how to make yourself miserable if you're not a rich person. Well, not being a rich person, I find myself sometimes uh, making myself miserable or going into a self-pity party, trying to brooding about how life would be so much better whenever I happen to strike it rich. Well, okay, here's how to make myself miserable. One, brood about how rich people can buy all the nice things you've always dreamed of owning but could never afford. About how rich people can walk into a store and buy any silly thing, any crazy, impulsive, totally impractical thing just because they feel like it and not even have to ask the price. The old comment that if you have to ask the price, then you can't afford it. Well, I can certainly identify with that because I sure do have to ask the price. Another way to make yourself miserable if you're not rich is to brood about how rich people never have to work if they don't feel like it. It's an option. Thus, they have time to do all the things you want to do but can't because you have to work for a living. Any of this sounding familiar out there? Or a third characteristic, which is brood about how rich people can tell anyone they wish to go to hell. They can say it without any hesitation. But 
If you happen to be a rich person who is listening, now you can make yourself miserable doing that also. Because after all, if you're determined, you can make yourself miserable without having to be either rich or poor. But if you're rich, you can brood about all the great things you could have done with all the money you paid in taxes if you'd found some way to avoid paying them. Or you could brood about all the people you have to pay just to help you hang on to what's left of your money. Or you can brood about all the people who are charging you more for their services just because you're rich. Or you can wonder whether your money is really working for you as well in the relatively safe place you've invested it. Or could it be more effective in a more speculative investment? You can wonder whether your money really is safe wherever you invested it. Wonder whether the gifts you give to friends or to charities are really appreciated or taken for granted. Or whether the recipients feel you could have afforded a bit more. If you're rich, you could wonder whether people who are nice to you are only nice to you because of your money. See, that's one of the nice things I don't have to worry. People who are nice to James Huey are not nice to me because of my money. I certainly don't have that one. But I could, if I were rich, I could wonder whether these friends of yours who are less fortunate resent the money. You could wonder whether you should begin to seek out a new circle of friends in a higher income bracket where you might feel less resented. Whether you'll ever be accepted as a friend by anyone in a higher income bracket. You could also wonder whether being able to afford all the luxuries you've ever wanted is anticlimactic. Whether there's anything left in life to look forward to. It's kind of like getting to the apex and saying, is this all there is to it? Well, what else in our culture other than money do we tend to worship? So Mr. Greenberg goes on and says, how to make yourself miserable if you're not a beautiful person? Well, the first thing you can do is brood about how everybody likes beautiful people and how they're a lot nicer to beautiful people than to unbeautiful people. I mean, if you really want to brood, this is certainly an opportunity because there's certainly a heavy dose of truth in all of this. You can brood about how beautiful people can wear all the new styles and look absolutely marvelous in them. Or how they can just throw on jeans and a sweater, scruffy little things that you wouldn't dare wear in public, and look just great because they're beautiful. Or you can brood about how much confidence beautiful people have and how beautiful people found jobs. They find love and marriage so much more easily than the unbeautiful people do. If you've already started to detect and decide I'm going to be miserable because I'm not beautiful, let's go over to all of you who may be listening who happen to see yourself as a beautiful person and would also like to make yourself miserable. We certainly don't want to leave anybody out this evening. How to make yourself miserable if you are a beautiful person? Well, first thing you can do is brood about how much more care you have to do in keeping up your appearance than unbeautiful people do. How much more you have to worry about blemishes, wrinkles, gray hair, and of course, calories. You could brood about how people tend to overlook your other qualities. Overlook your intelligence, your sensitivity, talent, because they consider you a decorative object rather than a person. Or you could brood about how quickly and easily looks are lost and about how you'll feel worse after they're gone, even if you've never had them. You could brood about how, since you've been lazy in developing your other qualities, you'll have absolutely nothing left at all, and all of your looks are gone. You really get a chance here to develop misery from any number of different perspectives. You can make yourself miserable about the future. For example, you can refuse to accept 
what cannot be changed, and you can set some unrealistic goals. This is a chance that many people will say, I want things to be a certain way, and we all do. I mean, there's no doubt we want things to be our way. And we can set some unrealistic goals, such as to strive for the Olympics. You know, part of mental and positive health is being able to set realistic expectations for self. Not focusing on what you can't do, but focusing on what you can do. I do encourage you to explore the concept of being able to accept what cannot be changed and to set more realistic goals. He goes on for some masochistic concepts is what not to accept. Don't ever accept your age or your weight or your height or your face or your ethnic group or your socioeconomic level. Don't ever acknowledge the fact that you make mistakes. Don't ever accept the possibility of failure. Don't ever prepare for failure with alternative plans. Don't ever accept the fact that most people will never realize how great you are. Don't ever believe the things that other people have which you've always thought would make you happy aren't making them happy either. One of the ways to utilize anxieties is as a means of getting people to reject you. You know, our culture here, we're talking about the great American obsession with being liked. I like to be liked. I don't know about you, but I generally like to be liked, and I like most people. But one of the things that people do develop and play little psychological head games with themselves is that sometimes they develop ways of getting other people to reject They learn how to lose friends and alienate people and create anxieties by getting other people to do the work. Obviously, the more people that you can get to dislike you, the more miserable you will become. So, of course, Dan Greenberg goes on and spends some time talking about how to get people to like you. What are some of his techniques? Best way, according to him, is to formulate a reject me image. In other words, if you're going to say, James, I really would like you to reject me. And I say, okay, here are some ways in which you can do that. Let me give you some pointers. Everything about you, your tone of voice, your posture, the way you enter a room, would tell people who you are and how you want them to treat you. Therefore, if you want to be miserable and you get people to reject you, you must weed out of your image any appealing qualities that might encourage people to accept you. Try to be as apologetic, boring, critical, complaining, impatient, irritable, jealous, nervous, suspicious, and as wishy-washy as prudence will allow. Now, that's a wide variety of behaviors that you can strive to accomplish. Apologetic, boring, critical, complaining, impatient, irritable, my goodness. But in case all those don't do it, let's move on to some other possibilities of the reject me image. Always hang back and wait to be coaxed to participate in a group activity when everyone else joins in on his own accord. Be sloppy about personal hygiene. Forget people's names. After all, people love the sound of their own name. They like to be able to be called, and they like the fact that you cared enough to remember their name. So if you want to be miserable and have people reject you, you can go ahead and forget them. You can nurse grudges. You can sulk. Never do what anybody wants to do. Take yourself very, very seriously. 
Be a bad sport. Be impossible to please. And if anyone should act enthusiastic about anything, you can always operate and be a wet blanket. If you're too obvious about provoking a rejection, you're going to miss out a lot on the righteous indignation of being rejected when it finally happens. So, you've got to learn how to play this subtly, according to Dan Greenberg. And a lot of people become masters at it. They really believe that other people have decided and devoted their energies to rejecting them. So... When you're with a proud parent or a proud pet owner, confess your aversion to children, aversion to animals. Sometimes you have to appear to reject in order to be rejected. What I'm saying, folks, basically is you define your image. I come to you as the person that I am this evening, and I believe certain things, and I have certain values, and I'm willing to share them with you. As I listen and I see myself, I, for example, stand in a mirror, and I can look at the person that I am. I can listen to my conversation and pick up the characteristics of who I am as an individual. If you wanted, for example, to come into a room that I'm at and you were really determined to be miserable, you could learn to enter a room as though you expected at any moment to be struck in the face. And that kind of gives you a wrinkled face. It gives you an apprehension, a real misery. We still have the power to make changes. We have the power to go ahead and write a script that allows us to be positive. Now, how to avoid deep romantic relationships? Why would anyone want to talk with me unless something comes along that contradicts that? For example, I could go and stand in the corner by myself and wait for somebody to walk over and strike up a conversation. I could probably go over and talk to a host in a social setting. And the host is busy, so she's going to kind of put me aside. I can do any number of things, but I, as a person, believe that I have the power to set up a positive self-image. I could go into a small talk maneuver, and this one is kind of funny, but I've, I've heard it in real life. Reject me move number one, you. I hate parties. I never know what to say to anyone. I guess I just can't make any small talk. Guest, really? I think you're doing very nicely. You. Now we're going to move number two. We've invited the person to play. No, I'm afraid I'm not very interesting to talk to. I suppose you'd rather be talking to someone else. Oh, not at all. I'm enjoying this conversation immensely. I really am. Well, you're very kind, but I'm sure I'm boring you to death. No, not at all. Not at all. But I am getting thirsty. Why don't you just sit right over there while I go and freshen my drink? Now we're ready for move number three. If you're that anxious to get away from me, I'm certainly not going to try and stop you. Get a chance to be a little indignant. Get a chance to feel really rejected. You can play this game on so many different levels. The old, do you love me? Of course I do. Well, what is love? I'm not sure. Well, if you don't know what love is, how do you know you love me? Well, maybe I don't. That goes a lot to say how sometimes we write scripts for ourselves that tend to be somewhat unhealthy. 
covered a lot this evening on how to make yourself miserable, hopefully with a paradox of recognizing that the reverse are some ways to make yourself healthy and positive. I do hope this program and the programs that we do each Thursday night do provide a valuable resource as you write your life novel. And I do believe that each of us does write our life novel. And you are in the process of writing yours right now. So join me again here on Wellness Radio for Southeast Texas as we continue to explore topics each Thursday evening to enrich the quality of your life. Power for positive living and friendship. Good night.